Let's pray. Father, we bow before you today just to thank you for all your blessings on us, for the service praise time we just experienced as we sang our love songs to you. And Father, now as we worship you in spirit and in truth, we ask, Father, that you just give us your words, that you separate out of it anything that shouldn't be said and magnify what you say should be said and fill us, Father, with your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> When I was in the earlier grades of high school, God called me to preach, and that scared me to death because I was one of those kids that when I stood up to say something, my brain shut down. <laughs> I couldn't think of a word to say. And so for about a year, from age 14 to age 15, I struggled with that. Uh, they asked me to teach a Sunday school class, and they gave me a group called the, we called back in 1949 and 50, you remember the junior boys, grades four, five, and six? They, they'd had a dozen teachers, and they ran all of them out of the class. They just full of mischief, and nobody could really really tame them, so they asked me to take the class. And the first day in the class, we made some rules. And I let them help me make those rules for our behavior. And I had talked to the pastor about this, and, and he approved it. But I said, if you boys will be real good and participate well for, the, for long enough for us to study this lesson today, we'll ease out of the building and play for the last few minutes of a Sunday school session. And they bought into that, and we, we had a good orderly class, and that went on for a while. But during that time was when God was working on me to commit myself to preach the gospel. And I finally came to the pastor and told him that I thought God was calling me to preach. And he, he said... Uh, we think everybody in the church knew that except you. And he said, we want you to preach your first sermon in our church. And he chose a Sunday night about three weeks further down the line. And I think the people who went to church on Sunday night in 1950 were well settled. I think he knew I couldn't disturb them any at all. I couldn't harm them. And so... Uh, that Sunday night came, but the pastor said, every afternoon after school, I want you to come to here and we'll sit in my study and I'll help you prepare a couple of sermons. That night when I, that Sunday night when I stood up to preach, I was horrified. The, uh, it wasn't a usual Sunday night crowd. You see, our church had never had a preacher called out of it. And there's a rural community, and the news got around, and everybody in the community, I think, showed up that night. And that, that made matters worse. And so when the song service was over, the pastor called me to come and preach. I had those two sermons in my Bible. 
I preached both of them in 15 minutes. <laughs> and then he asked me to stand down front, and he encouraged everybody to come by and speak to me. My Aunt Roseman, she was my great aunt. She was my grandfather's sister, and they, they called her their old maid sister because Aunt Roseman had never married. And she was the kissingest aunt you ever saw. And I saw her coming in the line, and I knew I was going to get some smacky mouth. <laughs> Aunt Roseman dipped snuff. She didn't dip it at church, but when you dip snuff, you can't get the smell out of your mouth. And so I dreaded seeing her come by, and she was a tall, lanky lady, and she could lean back further than anybody I ever saw. And when she got to me, she grabbed me on both shoulders, and she started shaking, <laughs> and she leaned back, and she said, I am so proud of you, and I want you to know you've got such a mellow voice. Well, that thrilled me to death until I looked up the word mellow in the dictionary. And Mr. Webster said, it's a half-rotten condition. <laughs> but that was my start in preaching. And over the next several years, from age 15 until 21, I preached every opportunity I got. At Howard College, we had a program called uh, H-Day for Howard. And every association in the state of Alabama would have an H-Day sometime during the year. And students would be invited to come and preach in all the churches that participated. And I went to every one of those. And slowly, I began to get to the point that I I really wasn't as scared as I had been. But I've always taken the preaching opportunity to be the most solemn and most serious thing a person can ever do. And today I request your prayers as I preach. And I ask you to just ask God's favor on this service. And I have a text today, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, and we all know it. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that, she, that he shall also reap. Now we, we commonly think of that in our relationship to sin. If you sin, there are consequences, and, and, and that, those consequences go on uh, according to how much sin you sow. One person said, for years, I sowed my wild oats and prayed for a crop failure. But the failure doesn't usually show up because whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And it's true that if we live a life of sin, we're sowing seeds of sinfulness. And at, in due time, we're going to reap a harvest. When I was about 12 years old, we were farming, and <clears throat> my dad had to work one Saturday, and I wanted to go to the movie because there was a cowboy show on that day, 
And besides, before the movie, they had this continuing story that had a hero in it named Zorro. And Zorro was kind of like, uh, well, he was uh, one of these people who solved the world's problems. But he'd get in a real tight sometimes. And right at the end of his segment for that day, he would either be about to fall off a cliff or somebody was about to shoot him. And you'd hear the bang of the, of the, the, the pistol as somebody shot him or the rifle. And then they'd cut it off and say, come back next week for the, to see the results. And so that Saturday, I wanted to go and see Zorro get rescued from, from what seemed to be a terrible plight. But Daddy had another plan. He had to work, and we had about two acres plowed up and set out in rows for watermelons. And that morning, he gave me a sack of watermelon seed, and he took me out there and had me a hoe. And he said, uh, every five steps, I want you to dig a hole and put three seeds, three watermelon seeds in each hole. And he had it figured that I have enough seed to do that two acres. Well, I watched the day go by, and he told me I could go to the movie when I got when I ran out of seed. You know the rest of that story. <laughs> At first, I was putting three seeds to the hole and covered them up, and stepped on it to press the dirt down around the seeds and that field got bigger and bigger and bigger and after a while I started putting four and that wasn't wasn't helping me much because the movie started at two o'clock and I had to get bathed and dressed and doing like a country boy did in those days I would walk out to the road and stick up my thumb and somebody would come by and pick me up so, end of the story, I, I started putting more seed, more seed. And I ran out of seed before I ran out of field. And Daddy got home, and he walked out and looked at the field, and he saw where I'd planted my last seed. And I got home from a movie, and he questioned me about it. But he didn't say anything but until about a week later. You ever do something and you knew punishment was coming, but you dreaded it? And for a week, I knew doomsday was ahead, but I dreaded it very much. And so after about a week, those seed began coming up. We had a good rain or two and some hot sun, and those seed began to burst out. One day, Dad called me to come out in the field with him, and we walked through it, and he counted three plants here and three plants there, four plants here and four plants there, then five plants and then six plants. And we got to the end of that thing is where I ran out of seed. And you ever hear of corporal punishment? (laughs) Ought to be against the law. (laughs) But I, my backside experienced dad's belt. Whatsoever you sow, that you'll also reap. Well, while this applies to sin, that is a great Bible principle 
that applies to every area of our life. Take your health. If you eat the wrong food, you're going to, you're going to gain weight. And your health is going to be affected. Well, when, when Joe and I married, September 6, 1953, I was probably about 5 feet 10 or 11 inches tall, weighed 135 pounds, skin and bones. Somebody asked me one day to go draw some water, and I did. And then a group of us went swimming, and I put on my swim shorts, and my legs were real skinny. And the lady who had asked me to draw some water said, if I'd seen your legs before this, I'd never ask you to do anything. But I married a good cook, and I worked in the evenings, and I'd get home from work late at night, and that sweetheart had me on lemon meringue pie all the time. And at 11 or 12 o'clock at night, I drank a cup of coffee and eat a big serving of that lemon meringue pie. Folks, we'd been married six months. I didn't weigh 135 anymore, but I weighed 160. And we kept eating good, and over the years, keeping snacks in the house, and if they're there, you know what you're going to do, don't you? You're going to eat them. And I reached a place where I weighed about 220, and during that time, I loved uh, Burger King Whopper hamburgers. You know those, they name them Whopper for a good reason. They're big and they're thick. And somebody talked to me one day about a balanced diet. And I said, I've got one. Give me a Whopper in each hand. That's balanced. <laughs> but it has its effect. And for 20 years, I've been trying to get back down to somewhere normal. And it's been a slow go. But we reap what we sow, don't we? With health, with everything else in life. And exercise. The body that doesn't have exercise begins to dwindle and become unhealthy. And a person who retires and sits down to do nothing, his health is going to fade away and time's going to come when uh, he'll, he'll be helpless to do much of anything. But it happens in our financial world too. Give you another little testimony. 19, in the 1950s, the bank started doing this thing called credit cards. Y'all ever heard of that? I bet every one of us has one in our pocket. But well, Joe and I opened one of those accounts. She, she got a card and I got a card. And we, we enjoyed life. Pretty soon we had that thing maxed out. One of one friend said one day he was at home and his wife was on vacation with a group of women and they went to Europe. And he said this, this caller called him and said, I, I want to give you a new credit card. And he said, well, I sure do need one. My wife, we've got two maxed out. My wife's in Europe maxing out the third one. And so the man hung up on him. But we had that thing maxed out. We couldn't charge anymore. 
And so we looked at the interest that we were paying every month, and we could buy groceries for the amount of interest that we were paying. And so we, did, we made a decision. I, I gave her my card, and I took hers, and we cut those things in little bitty pieces and burned the little bitty pieces and spent two years trying to pay that, pay that off, and we finally got it, got it done. Now, later, we got a credit card, but we had learned that you don't charge more than you can pay in a month. So when the statement comes, we'd always pay it off. But if you live above your means, you spend more than you earn, you'll reap what you sow because consequences come. But today we're in a situation here at the church. The pastor has resigned, and I guess today we'll elect a search committee to find us a new pastor. And a little word of advice from an experienced old pastor. There are many great preachers out there that are looking for a place to preach. The secret is to find one. Jesus gave us the story of the wheat and the tares. A farmer had his, had his employees plant wheat in a field. And the, an enemy came in during the night and sowed tares in, in that space. Now, I don't know exactly how the word tares came in the translation, but I believe it meant weeds and grass. Growing up in Elmore County in the farming atmosphere, folks, we had several kinds of grass that would infest your field. There was one called crabgrass, one called nutgrass, Johnson grass, all kind of, all kind of grass. And this stuff would come up all on its own. And we grew cotton and uh, vegetables, and we'd have to hold that stuff out to, and plow it to keep it under control. Any of you past farmers remember what happened with nutgrass? It underground, it formed little pods. And every one of them is capable of another plant. And if you dig that out, you better get all of those pods because they're tares in the wheat field. And if you don't, it'll eat up your crop. It'll smother out whatever you're trying to grow. So in our pasture search, let's remember that there are tares among the wheat. There are many good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching preachers but there are some out there who are not dedicated to the Word of God. There's a segment of the universal church that has uh, preachers who don't believe that the Bible is the authoritative, authoritative, inerrant Word. And they think that part of the Bible might be a true Word of God, but part is not. And they have to interpret which part is and which part isn't. Now, you know, Southern Baptists believe that the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant word of God. And we 
we need to follow every aspect of it. <clears throat> and we know that God gave it to us. He used great men of old to, to hear his word and write down his word for us. And I believe that every, I believe so much that every word of the Bible is true that I think even the concordance is the authoritative and inerrant word because every word in the concordance has part of a verse in it that is totally word of God. And when we start seeking a pastor, we've got to determine whether this is a part of the tares or part of the wheat. And as we have an opportunity, you know, there will be people who will send us a resume. And you know, I've never been called by a resume. But if I were writing one, you know what I'd put on it? Everything good about me. And my references would be somebody who I know will give a favorable report. And so we need to look past the resume part, and we need to investigate carefully and search out the man that God has for us. And I'll guarantee you that somewhere nearby in the, in the near future, we'll find a man that God chose for our church. And we need to put our focus on that and that alone. And then we need to bring ourselves to a reasonable state of unity where we're all in agreement that this is who we need, this is who God sent, and then put our full support behind that person. We reap what we sow. This is a kind of a fragile time for our church. You see, we have some wonderful leaders, and we've experienced their leadership so far today in this service. But there's not a central leader to draw everything together and focus our attention on God's plan for us. And so during this time, many of our members will become complacent and they'll just kind of roll up their sleeves and, and leave everything up to somebody else. And some of our members will begin to not come. Some will begin to not give because we don't have that central focus. And so let us all stick together, prayerfully serving our God, keeping the services going good and solid, and recognizing there, that God does have a person out there for us. And listen carefully. The scripture says, wait on the Lord. And make sure when we, when we call a pastor that he's the one that God has for us. And he'll reveal that, not just to one or two people, but to all of us. And we'll feel very comfortable. Remember, in every phase of our life, including this decision we're going to have to make soon, we reap what we sow. Choose the wrong pastor, and the church will go down. My home church, where I was 
license to preach, January 1950. The church was a church kind of like this one, a very vibrant Bible church, Southern Baptist through and through. And over the years, it prospered. But about four years ago, they called a pastor out of uh, Georgia. He came and his first sermon, not the, not the trial sermon, when a pastor comes for a trial sermon, we've, we've all got those, our better sermons that we, we've uh, primped and got the best they can get. We, that's come sometimes called our sugar stick that we expose to a, ch a prospective church. Well, he had a great one. And they called him, and his first uh, Sunday there, he gave them his itinerary. He said, my job is to stay in the office all day from 9 until 4. If you need me, if you're sick and need me to pray for you, make an appointment and come see me. And after that Sunday, half of the church left, and the church began to dwindle. And they had a reserve fund that was a few thousand dollars. And over two years, in order to pay the man's salary that he negotiated, they used up that reserve fund almost. And when he saw it was mostly gone and the church was down to a handful, he said, I'll resign if y'all will give me two months severance pay and $10,000, and so they did, and he left. A group that really followed him left with him, but the church was down to 18 and 19 people from 135, and they are struggling. I preached for them in uh, November, and they had just a handful. You know, everybody sat on the back of the church, Nobody sat down close to the front. I, I don't know if they're afraid of me or what, but I, I talked to my brother-in-law often, and he told me yesterday they're having homecoming. In the last month, they've been having 60 people back in church, and they're expecting a big crowd today for homecoming. But the, their choice of a pastor they, they sowed their life, and they reaped a harvest that severely damaged the church. So my challenge is, listen carefully to our Lord. He knows exactly who we need, and that person's out there. And we'll, we'll be exposed to that person, and maybe some pairs as well. But let's give our heart devotedly to finding God's person and the church will do great. Let's bow together. Father, in this search for a pastor, we ask for your wisdom, for your guidance, for your blessings. And Father, we know that you have the person that this church needs. Every church has a personality. And that personality is formed out of the composite of 100 or more 
however number of, of members we have, they come together and form a composite personality and disposition. And Father, every preacher has a personality and a disposition. Our church will have a plan of action. Every preacher will have his own plan of action. And Father, when we get those things meshed together right in your sight, there will be harmony, there will be peace, and there will be success. But if we get those crossways and we don't get the right mix for our church, trouble is abound. And so we just pray, Father, for your guidance. We pray for your favor, for your anointing, for your wisdom in making these choices, that you will get us matched with the exact right person that is good for us. And, Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. <laughs> now we're going to have a...